It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's you, Jamie. Don't be alarmed, but I think there's a guy following you. Maybe we should get that guard dog we talked about? Nothing too scary. Maybe like a Bichon with an attitude? You know, Progressive's collision insurance covers injured dogs and cats at no extra cost, so... Wait, the guy stood up when I stood up. He's on the phone. He's looking right at me. Oh, wait, it's just my reflection. Don't tell anyone about this. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Pet coverage not available in New Hampshire and North Carolina. You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It is Locked On Jazz for the 18th of August, the off-season of perfection. We talk about it with radio analyst Spencer Nelson coming up on the show. That's today's edition of Locked On Jazz. Ow. Oh, drum roll. Still, still rolling. Uh, make sure you check out what's going on on all the Lockdown Podcast Network stations. The NBA shows are up and rolling. Uh, there's no Lockdown NBA this week. Last week we had Terry Stotts, head coach of the Portland Trailblazers. Interesting conversation. Uh, Lockdown NFL with Matt Williamson is up and rolling. The NFL, your favorite NFL team should be up and going. So make sure you subscribe on iTunes. For those of you who've already subscribed on iTunes to this show, my gosh, thank you so much. I checked out the ratings the other day. Couldn't believe what you guys put in there. Thank you. Five stars across. Thank you. Just thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. So if you haven't done so, and I would love more praise, so feel free to do so. All right, let's get it. We're going to have a guest today as we're kind of d- dry of news. And Spencer Nelson, uh, who is not going to play Gordon Hayward in tennis anytime soon, uh, joins us now. How are you? I'm good, man. Great, great to be with you, David. Thanks for having me on. Spencer, uh, former Utah State, great. Played many years in Europe. Uh, was in a jazz camp, if not once, but twice, and uh, has been working on the Zone uh, Sports Network as part of the radio pre-post game team. Also joined me for some games. Uh, joining us now. When, when you went, when we left the building, disappointed that they didn't make the playoffs on the final night. What would have you said the Jazz had to do before they took the floor again at Vivint Smart Home Arena? Um, This is going to sound like I'm just piggybacking what Dennis actually did, but 100%, I remember talking to Spence and Britton when we were leaving, saying they need to upgrade their bench. And I didn't know if they wanted to do it through, you know, a couple marquee signings and push Rodney down to the bench and, uh, you know, Shelvin Mack down to the bench and upgrading there, or if they wanted to go sign some players that would specifically, you know, jump uh, Joe Ingles or some of the other guys on the bench, but they needed to get a stronger second unit. And, uh, and wow, did Dennis listen to me? Well, thank goodness you said that, because if you hadn't said that, Spencer, he probably wouldn't have done it. <laughs> well, I had, I, had, I had no idea that Dennis had our little booth mic. I didn't know he was listening, but he must have been, right? Well, you know, or it could be that Spencer stole your idea, took it to Dennis as his idea, and then that's why it happened. <laughs> Is that why I've seen Spencer rolling around in the Lamborghini lately? He's got a little little upgrade with the advice. But, uh, no, they, they did a great job uh, in the offseason doing exactly what I thought they needed to do. And, and people that I had identified, okay, maybe they'll go after this guy or that 
he completely went stealth and went after some guys that I wasn't even really thinking about. Uh, so really good job. Well, you know, you brought up an interesting thing I talked about a lot, which was the idea of sliding Rodney down to the bench. And it was, and people were like, well, why don't you like Rodney? I was like, no, I like Rodney. But at some point, if you're trying to get great, you need to – Rodney would have been the best sixth man in the NBA. Like, you've got to have the best at something if you're going to be great. And that was my thought was if you could get – you know, and also I felt you weren't going to stunt his development an awful lot by having him – uh, come off the bench as the primary scorer in the second unit. But to be able to upgrade without doing that and have Rodney still have that starting two job, which I think he will still have when the, when the year starts, I would suspect, I, I think is, is pretty remark, makes it kind of even more remarkable that that makes it even a better offseason because they were able to do this while the development process of all their guys is still happening full throttle. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I'm right there with you. I mean, Rodney, I, I love Rodney's game and I love the development that's taken place, but he was one guy. And then obviously the point guard position with Dante coming back, but I thought maybe they would go try to grab a point guard. You push those guys to the bench and that's, that's a pretty solid uh, core coming in off the bench and giving you a boost, giving you some production uh, offensively. But yeah, they didn't have to do that whatsoever. Those guys can continue to grow in their roles. Meanwhile, uh, that second unit just got so much stronger uh, with the addition of George Hill, who probably is going to be starting, I would think, and then Dante will be coming off the bench at least at least probably the first half of the season. But with Dante and Shelvin coming off uh, at the point guard position and then Joe Johnson and Alec Burks coming, I mean, they, offensively they struggled so many times. And I remember, you know, listening to you talking with that second unit where are the points going to come from? Chris Johnson or Joe Ingles or, or Trevor Booker? You know, those guys, I, I love them, but offensively they just didn't have the talent. So it was almost like Quinn was just trying to hold on, rest Gordon, uh, rest those guys. And, and Alec can score, obviously, but when he went down, it was that other, you know, the rest of them, that they just didn't have the depth and it was just kind of holding on for as many minutes as you could rest your starters and not, you know, get behind by too much to where Gordon and Rodney and those guys could come back in. So I don't think that's going to be an issue whatsoever now. I think they're going to be able to get some good production from that second unit, and it's going to balance the team out a lot. Well, I, I think what you're talking about a little bit is what I've said in a different fashion is what I really am impressed by is 11, 12, and 13 on the roster. Right, so 11, 12, and 13 on this roster are Joe Ingles, Jeff Withy, and then either Shelvin Mack or Raul Neto, or maybe that's four, 13 and 14. Not in any, I just, you know, not saying ones, but, but the idea that if somebody goes down, instead of just flipping a coin and hoping that something's going to work, we're a little bit where we were last year, just, oh my gosh, what's going to happen here? If somebody goes down, well, then. You know, Jeff Withy plays. Well, he proved he can play. Like, he's comfortable with that role. If Neto or Mack plays, I mean, those are the best third guards in the NBA. I don't care which one of them it's going to be, but they're the best third guards in the NBA. And then, you know, probably if Joe Ingles might be one of the best fifth wings. I'm pretty comfortable with Joe Ingles on the floor. In fact, I've heard some people make strong arguments of why Joe at times may be better to have on the floor than Alex. So I think it's uh, – you know, uh, uh, that's the part of this roster that impresses me the most is that if an Alec goes down, then okay, so Joe steps in, not a problem. Joe has proven he can do this. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, uh, and you know, in this NBA, and, and not necessarily with the Jazz, they have struggled with injuries. Hey, people are going to go down. Now, hopefully, you know, knock on wood, 
that it's just an ankle for, for two weeks. It's not, you know, something really, really serious. But that's going to happen. And, and like you said, with 11, 12, 13, absolutely. Joe Ingles, you can trust him. Jeff showed that, that he can play at this level and, and contribute at this level. So uh, hopefully none of those injuries occur. But, uh, but if they do, I think the Jazz can have a lot more confidence that they're not going to fall behind in the games and then big picture in the standings and then have to wait till everyone gets healthy to try to make up for those situations. So, yeah, I, I, I think that's really good. From, from your standpoint, Neto, do you think they are going to keep him or have, where are you on that? His contract's too good to let go. Yeah, okay, gotcha. And, I mean, and, and he's too I, good. I mean, he's too good for what you're the, – the, you're weighing every player, right, between what's good at, you know, where their value is, what they're paid. I mean, I don't have it in front of me, but, I mean, he's nothing this year. He's nothing – he's a million – you know, on a $100 million salary cap, he's like 1% of the salary cap each of the next two years, maybe even three. Yeah. So he has to be on there. You can't, you know, you can't let that go. I mean, if – uh, and he's proven he can play. So I don't, you know, Mac is the one that I think you may hold on to uh, until the market bears the appropriate response from some other team. Um, but I, I think you have Neto's too good to let go with for the price he's played, and he's earned it. And he's playing very well in uh, for Brazil. So I think that's um, important as well. Uh, what, what have they done to you in your mind here that helps them with their late game issues? I have my answer, but I want to see what you say. Well, I'll, I'm probably just going to give a. Uh, I'll give two answers, and they're pretty typical. I don't think it'll surprise anyone. I think, first of all, experience of George Hill, Joe Johnson, Boris Dia. Uh, you know, those guys have been there in those situations, especially George and Boris in the playoffs, and then Joe, you know, a lot of big games, whether it was in Atlanta or most recently in Miami. I was really impressed with, uh, with Joe in Miami this year. And, I, he wasn't even on my radar. So, he, you know, Dennis pulled that out of left field, at least for me, and the other people would have been, oh, I was thinking about him. But that was, in my mind, a great pickup. But just the late-game experience, and uh, and there's such a, a kind of just a comfort level of being in those situations, and those guys have it. In addition to that, um, being able to spread the floor. Uh, a lot of times with Gordon, I remember at the end of the end of the game, teams were really packing things in on him, and there wasn't a lot of place, places to go in the in the lane. With George Hill and Joe, George he shot almost fifty percent from three point range in last year's playoffs. He shot uh, forty two, forty three, I think, for the season, and uh, and then Joe Johnson's a, a threat from three point range. I think those types of things you you surround Gordon with Rodney, Joe. George Hill late game situations, well, they can't pack the lane nearly as much. And then you have a number of other people in terms of matchups. You saw Quinn this year um, decide sometimes to go with Rodney for a late game situation, sometimes to go with Gordon, depending on matchups. And I think it just gives you a couple more weapons in terms of matches, matchups. So I would expect that they're going to be much better late game. I know that that was kind of a weakness of theirs this year. I think with the experience, the outside shooting to spread the floor uh, and the matchups it's going to you know really help them in the last 3 5 minutes of the game you know my um you know what my answer is yeah what do you got i'd love to hear it they're going to be better in the first 40 th- whatever yeah. <laughs> no i mean that's the answer 
If you go, like, actually, Ru- Russell, yeah, there's a, a listener of as Russell Dixon, a listener to Locked On Jazz. He did this work. The Jazz were three and seventeen when behind going into the final. When they went into the final five minutes of a close game, trailing within five, but they were trailing. They were three and seventeen. Jazz were behind the five minute mark of the fourth quarter. They went three and seventeen. They didn't lose these games late. When they were yeah, tied, when, no, when they were tied, they were three and four, and when they were ahead, they were eight and seven. And the eight and seven, you say, okay, well, that's not very good. But then you go look at what they were. They were the Cavaliers, LeBron, Thunder, Durant, Clippers, Chris Paul, Golden State, Steph Curry. Okay, the other and the other was one of the others was Jeff Withy getting murdered at the rim and no call. And the final one was the exhibition <laughs> game on the final game of the year. So that's six of the seven losses that the Jazz had when they were ahead going into the final five minutes. The issue is that of all these losses and all this whining and all this complaining that we did all year long about how terrible they were late and Gordon Hayward sucks and this and that. All They trailed in the final five minutes almost every time. They were 3-17 and 17 when they were behind at the five-minute mark. 17 of their 28 losses in the final, which were within five points with five minutes left, happened when they trailed. That was the problem. Yeah, no, and and that makes complete sense. And and I would I would love for one of your listeners to to go back and do the plus minus of the first uh, you know, four or five minutes of the second quarter and the first four or five minutes of the fourth quarter. Those situations where Gordon was on the bench and and it seemed like uh Quinn was just trying to hang on and rest him as much as he could and it felt like there was not every time, but a majority of the times, those first four minutes of the second quarter and the first four minutes of the fourth quarter were just hard, hard times for the Utah Jazz to put the ball in the bucket. So, uh, no, I agree with you. I think, I think that's great insight. Well, and I can answer that for you indirectly with there's 10 lineups that are still have players on our roster, right? So our main starters on the roster mm-hmm. uh, that played 35 or more minutes together, eight of the 10 are positive, and all of them are more than plus seven per 100 possessions. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, sure. you can get stupid excited about this season, you know. Oh, yeah. Like I've, like, I've seen the predictions. I mean, uh, there's some people getting really crazy and, you know, having – crazy, I mean, just really excited and having them up in the fourth spot in uh in the west uh, i think espn has them there at the fourth and to think 40 i think they have them at 45 games i actually think 45 is conservative i i i don't think they'll reach 50 but i think they're going to be nipping at 50 and uh i I finish fourth or fifth i think i'm not sure exactly where that's going to be but yeah there's there's a lot of reasons to be really excited about the jazz this year Exciting, exciting times uh, for this team. I mean, the one that gets me is if Dante's average, like just average, right? Just average. Yeah. Yeah. Think about that for a second. Think what it does to this team if Dante Exum in his second full season in the NBA doesn't have to be a superstar, doesn't have to be elite. He just has to be an average, like 15 to 20th best point guard in the NBA. Then he's the best back. Then you have the best 
48 minutes. You, know, you have some of the best 48 minutes of point guard play. And then oh, he and George yeah. can play together. I mean, let's go play around. Like, what's your favorite five, right? Like, oh, I want Trey Lyles at the four with Rudy Gobert. No, wait, I want Derek Favors. No, actually, I want Joe Johnson at the four. Never mind, Trey. Uh, actually, I want Gordon at the four with Rodney and Alec and Dante. No, actually, never mind, Alec. I want George Hill and Dante with Rodney and Gordon with Rudy. No, I'm going to go Favors. Like, oh, my gosh. Like, to me, a little bit, there is no bench unit. Right? Because, like, people are saying, well, what do you think of the five of Dante with Alec Burks and Joe Johnson and Boris D on Trey Lyles? Like, I don't think that five ever sees the floor together because you have so many intermixable pieces that I don't think Quinn ever has to go five bench pieces. Yeah. No, I agree. And you think about the conversation of the point guard. I mean, that is a complete 180. Uh or as Mike Tyson would say, a complete 360 from what we were saying last year when we were talking about uh, Trey Burke and Aul Neto. Trey, which, you know, did some good things, but obviously had some glaring deficiencies. And then uh, and then Aul Neto coming straight from Europe, not having really any idea what we were going to get from him. Now, he was a pleasant surprise, but now you're talking about George Hill. Dante, like you said, if he's just solid and average, is you know, as the backup, and then Shelvin Mack or Raul Neto as the third point guard completely flips things around. And I, I will say with the numbers that you're talking about, it will be interesting to see rotations, roles, how Quinn, because I agree, you probably never see all five of that second unit together. Um, but still, you know, players like to get in routines. Uh, I think a, a lot of coaches like to have that comfort level of knowing this is, when we're going to make the substitutions, you know, with some latitude depending on the flow of the game and how people are playing. But it will be interesting to see how Quinn manages all these bodies and, and brings in George and continues to develop Dante, uh, keeps Joe Johnson happy, you know, uh, with a, a diminished role. And I'm sure those conversations took place before he even signed up. Look, this is what the expectation is and stuff. But, but Quinn... Quinn has his uh, work cut out for him, but I think in the sense of very positive work cut out for him and how am I going to mold and shape this team into, you know, not just uh, fighting for a playoff spot, but but solidifying and and being a solid playoff contender. You know, I think the the fun part about this uh, is all those options and trying to figure out the other one to me that gets lost in all this is that last year Rodney Hood and Rudy Gobert were first year starters. They had never done this before. How different do you expect them both to be with that year of experience, knowing what they're about to embark upon? I I think they'll both be significantly uh, improved, especially Rodney. I think think Rudy will improve as well. I don't know if his development, if he'll take as big a jump as Rodney will. I I really expect Rodney. uh, You know, if you remember post-All-Star break, he had – he had had such a great beginning of the new year, 2016, came back after All-Star break. Teams started guarding him a little differently. He started to struggle. He had kind of gotten the attention of the opponent, to, uh, opponent and, and he kind of faded for a little while and trying to figure out, okay, how am I going to continue to be effective? I think you're going to see less of that this year. I think Rodney's going to know how to react to what the defense gives him. I think he's going to continue to shoot the ball well and, and improve from last year. So I think you're going to see a big jump from him. And then I think Rudy is just going to be a continued stable 
development and growth. I, I, I hope from Rudy, just, you know, it, 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 some stupid fouls, you know, it, it, mistakes that, uh, you know, younger players make. Hopefully he can uh, kind of close those gaps and not, not fall into that pattern as much this next year. But, uh, but I think just steady progress. This team has shown that they can develop talent, and they'll continue to do that with Rudy. Yeah, and I talked about this with Ron in last week's podcast, Ron Boone. Um, the idea that uh, when Rodney and Gordon were off, when one of them was off the floor, the other's numbers struggled badly. And how, yeah. how different their world's going to be when Joe Johnson is the guy instead of Chris Johnson or something yeah. like that, right? I mean, it's just like, think about that difference. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's huge. Right? And, and, and I, it, we, we all love Chris Johnson, but absolutely huge to think about that. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a big deal. The, the one concern I'll have, and uh, I, I'll be interested to get your take on this, is I, I, I love Trevor Booker, and I think everyone did, but obviously you can't pay him what, uh, what Brooklyn was willing to pay him. But do you think they're going to miss the toughness factor? All right, so I, you, I cannot say who, but I had a big, huge argument with an NBA player about this. Okay, so the NBA okay. player was telling me that they're going to miss the toughness. They're going to miss the spark and the energy that he gives them every night. That he picks them up and that he gives them all that gives them a bounce, and that they're really going to miss that. That was that was the player's point of view. So I, you're, you guys may know better. And I, my response was, if any of those things were true, then you should have been better when he was on the floor. Right, none of our lineups with him on the floor were good, and I think both. Yeah, the, I think both people are right here. Yeah, and I, I, I think I think you're right. I think the analytics side, which you know, tells an unbiased, uh, just straight story, and then there's the feel side of of just kind of watching the game, and and it, 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 at least. And, and this is where I'm coming from, from the player's perspective, is, is that is an essential element to a successful team, is that you have that one guy that just brings that toughness factor, that uh, metaphorically speaking, punches that, the, the opponent in the face first, you know, just, just knocks him in the jaw, lets him know that you're there, and, and sets the tone for the rest of the team and I don't know. I, I I don't know if anyone on this team has that. Uh, I, ironically, maybe maybe the veteran Boris Diaw, the Frenchman. You know, maybe maybe he has a little bit of that in him. I know. I know uh, Rudy had a little bit of that in him. A little uh, uh, what's the grittiness? But he's too young to to be that guy. So I don't. I don't know, David. I I'm kind of on the boat of the player who I think there are going to miss that. Is that going to show up in the win-loss column? I don't know. I don't know. But but that, but but when you look at good teams, they have that guy who's just a little bit of a jerk and doesn't mind being a little bit of a jerk on the court. Now, Trevor Booker off the court was a great guy, but he, he was a little bit of that enforcer, and it set the tone for everyone else. Yeah, I, I don't – I'm not – I believe the analytics. I believe the <laughs> – I just think here's what, here's what I think. I just think, and I'm not trying. I hate this because I love Trevor. I re- truly, honestly, Trevor's one of the players I admire most that I've ever met in my time in the league. Like I really believe mm-hmm. I've never met a player who is preparing better for his next career. Like 
he he's going to be a GM in this league, I think, or whatever he wants to be. Like he's so smart. He dedicates himself a hundred percent to the game. He's improving, and at the same time, goes to everything the league offers about. Here's how to get in the front office. Here's how to become a coach. He he's got a new business partners. Where I admire him to the nth degree. It is not my job some of the time though to be someone's cheerleader. So I am going to just oh, yeah. point out that. As much as I agree with everything about his toughness, everything about his spark, everything about his energy, everything about his positive attitude in the locker room, everything about his leader uh, – actually, these last two I'm going to take out and put it aside because I actually think they could be an issue. On the floor in this last year, unfortunately, his inability to hit a shot outside of five feet and even struggle inside five feet and his lack of size defensively at times meant that for all of those other positive things that are out there, there was just a net negative. Like, it's just too bad. It's a net negative when he was on the floor. That's just factual. Now, with that mm-hmm. said, the way he practiced every day and the way he conducted himself in the locker room, those things might really be missed because those things keep the whole team in the right mental state and then that shows up overall for the team so that last part i'm going to take out that part of him i think but on the floor unfortunately uh for him i don't know that i think he's going to be as missed at least analytically i don't buy it as much as what i hear everybody else saying i could be wrong yeah i i I think i i think you're right uh, I th- when you said both can be right, I think analytically, I think you, you, you're you probably right. I just think of those situations where he and Chris Johnson uh, just did things that, that wouldn't show up but saved a loose ball, uh, you know, knocked a guy down with a screen, I think a book, you know, things like that that, that won't show up in the analytics. But I guess you, your argument would say, well, eventually they will show up in the analytics. They'll show up in the plus minus. They'll show up in other things. Here's a better idea. It'll be interesting. Here's a better idea. Just be five points better than the other team so you don't need those little plays. I think I think let's not stop at five. Let's go to eight. Let's that, go to eight or nine. But I mean, truly, let's that, not even make it too interesting. Like I mean, Chris Johnson makes that incredible play against the Bulls, where he saves the offense, the offensive rebound off the free throw to give us a win. Like, yeah, but you're uh-huh. a lot better off if you're just up five at that point, right? Like, if you if, if, if you hit the three baseline uh, right, threes that, right, that, that right, could have been hit. No, right. I, absolutely. I just, I just, I just think about all the the good teams I was on, and obviously not in the NBA, but overseas, and and, and all the good NBA teams. They just have that, that that uh, I don't know that enforcer, you know, that that, that sets the tone. And, and it might not even be in the game. It might be that enforcer's personality that's in the locker room, and like you were talking about leadership at practice and everything else. So I think Trevor Booker will be missed. Uh, does that mean that uh, they won't win as many ball games? By no means, no. They're going to win a lot more ball games in my mind. But uh, but it'll be interesting to see if anyone steps up into that role. And I don't know who that would be right now, but if anyone does. All right, Spencer. Nice to be with you. Appreciate the time. It is another edition of Locked On Jazz. He's Spencer Nelson. What's your Twitter? At 1280snelson, S-N-E-L-S-O-N. Uh, hook me up, follow me. Uh, I've been tweeting occasionally with a few things. Had a good BYU Big 12 tweet before, uh, before Big 12 Media Day, and I took some heat for that lock, but I ended up being right. 
All right, follow him on Twitter. Give him heat. He's Spencer Nelson. He'll be back and around when the season starts. Uh, This has been another edition of Locked On Jazz. Make sure you check out the other Locked On podcasts on the Locked On Podcast Network. Hi, guys. This is Josh Lloyd, host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. The NBA is back, so that means that fantasy basketball is back in one form or another. We've got daily fantasy, but there's also some fantasy leagues with the resumption of play with these eight regular season games in Orlando, and Locked On Fantasy Basketball is going to have you covered. It's not just for fantasy basketball, though, because we recap all of the games across the NBA, so if you're looking for a broad overview of the action across the league every day, Locked On Fantasy Basketball is the podcast for you.